Yo, what's going on? It's Ed Gallo. This is the Wrestling for MMA podcast. This is my 10th episode, which is pretty nuts. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just uh, kind of started this on a whim. So here you go, podcast. First few episodes were awesome. Uh, first batch. I, I didn't really plan on having this be an interview show, but the interviews have been really amazing. Um, you know, I started just by bringing on my buddy Zach, who was a wrestling coach, and I wrestled D3, and it definitely evolved a bit <laughs> from there, you know, from Hudson Taylor, three-time All-American, really thoughtful, you know, amazing guy, uh, you know, Dennis Bermudez was freaking crazy, I love that, uh, you know, Mark Munoz, NCAA champion, UFC veteran, crazy, crazy stuff here, uh, I'll get back to having guests eventually, Really, the process for me having guests is that Philippe and Ben and some of my other staff members get these interviews, and I'm like, oh, that guy's a wrestler. Like, you got to let me in on that one, and it becomes my interview. So I just steal from them mostly. Uh, so I'm not, like, out here hunting my own interviews. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, they're not going to be that consistent, but, yeah, my the guys just went crazy with interviews for a few weeks there. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of them. It was fun. It was fun. But I want to talk about other stuff now as well. I feel like it's all been building up. I asked you guys for questions like over a month ago, and I am getting to them now. So here you go. I hope you remember if you asked a question or not. I'm not going to get to all of them, but I'm going to get to a lot of them, I would say. Uh, before I do that, I want to talk about uh, a wrestler in MMA. It's like what the, the podcast is about, right? Uh, I want to talk about Aljamain Sterling. I've always liked Aljamain Sterling, uh, just because he's a uh, he's an outside shooter. He pulls it off, and uh, you know I like that he's kicky and, and long, and like I kind of uh, aspire to be like him a little bit in terms of what I do. Um, not not what he does with his boxing, but a lot of the other ideas about his game. You know, I I dig, I dig what he does, uh, and you know, he just has a, a cool way about it. And his mat wrestling, his grappling is is probably the best part of his game. Uh, but as we know. That won't matter that much if you don't have a reliable system of getting to the ground. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say he quite has a system yet, just because he, he has a few different looks that he, he goes for, and they all vary in efficacy. And I think um, in terms, you know, what opponent things would work well against, I think it's pretty universal that, you know, there's certain things he's better at and that conceptually work better. Uh, so, you know, it makes more sense to do that. At the end, I'll tie this all into how I see him matching up with Corey Sandhagen, just because, uh, Sandhagen? Is that it? I'm going to say Sandhagen, just because it's more natural to me. I'm sorry, Corey, if that's wrong. Uh, I'm sorry to Sean Madden, who's, like, the only person that would speak to Corey that might listen to this. Um, but, yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting matchup to me, and I think a lot of it depends on whether or not, you know, Sterling can get consistent top positions, so I definitely want to talk about whether or not I think that's possible, um, but yeah, I think just uh, breezing through some of the, the footage I have, some of the clips I made, uh, I'm prepping for an article. Uh, this is like the Mike Brown podcast where I uh, you know, gave you guys a preview of what I was working on for the Mike Brown article, and then I never did the Mike Brown article. So at the very least, you get it in the in the uh, the podcast here, just in case it never makes it to print. Uh, with the Mike Brown thing, I just, you know, it was too much work. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do the Takedown Breakdown series instead, which ended up being so much less work. So I'm... I'm it's a little stress relieved. I got a lot going on in my life, you know, so uh, I still have all the clips for the Mike Brown article. I'm sure I'll do it eventually. It's just like, it's hard to get up for like a big 
a big fight or breakdown. I, I like, you know, smaller things because I can get really detailed and not take that much time on it, which is a, a perfect marriage of uh, content. So if, you, if you're wondering what I'm up to, that's what I'm up to. Yeah, let's talk about Aljo. Uh, in terms of his credentials, I don't really care at this point. Um, you know, if they don't have, like, significant results against, like, you know, D1 or D2 or freestyle guys that I know or, like, high school results that I would know, uh, it, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, he has two uh, two All-American finishes in Division two, Division three. It, I mean, it means he's good. You know, it, it's not a big deal. Uh, I don't get bogged down in credentials. I try not to. Um, I like to correct people when they're wrong about credentials, but I don't place a whole lot of stock in them just because, like, you know, it, it means nothing. It means nothing about how you're going to do once you get here, it speaks to what kind of caliber of athlete you are. You know, if you're successful at the level, level, I can assume that you're a great athlete. I think the same can be said for most NCAA levels of wrestling. It's, it's super tough, no matter what division. Um, you know, everyone's taking it seriously for the most part. It's still, you know, a national level competition. It, it you know, trust me. Just trust me on that. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about his credentials very much. Uh, he's a New York guy. New York's great for, uh, for wrestling in high school. I'd say they're a top five, six. Uh, state and just in terms of high school results and recruits um so yeah he's got a good pedigree but i believe from the matches i've seen he was very uh you know funk style you know basically the, the years after Askren, uh you know everyone was like I'm, I'm gonna do this because it is so much more fun and like more of a system and a little less effort in some ways uh, a little more reliable to at least get to in some ways to be funk rolling on people and leg passing and scrambling as defense instead of like having a shutdown style because I mean honestly you know if you're super concerned about defense it'll be harder to get to your attacks and you know isn't it more fun just to press your offense than if someone shoots on you you dive on their leg and get into a crazy leg passing battle and get to scramble your way out of it and maybe you get a takedown out of it and you know probably get a stalemate if you're good at it uh, you know, there's a ton, ton of guys like that in college. Uh, a guy right now competing, if you just want to see someone doing it like today, um, 157-pounder for Ryder, Jesse Delavecchia. He is, well, first of all, another Jesse is Jesse Delgado, who was a two-time NCAA champ for Illinois. Uh, he beat Nico Megaludis. He beat Nation Gary. He's, you know, super tough. He's going to do MMA, by the way. Uh, that'll be answered to a, a, a later on question, but he, he's a super funk roll happy guy and like it's so frustrating because Nation Garrett has super clean leg attacks and the NCAA, NCAA finals he kept hitting them on him and uh, Delgado kept uh, rolling underneath and stalemating the action and uh, you know just not you know engaging <laughs> in a neutral battle uh, and just like keeping everything crazy and tangled up on, on the mat and then uh, eventually he won because he's super good on top and he's fine in neutral. He was good in neutral, but he, uh, his scrambling and his, his funk was definitely a huge part of his game there. That's how he beat Nico. Um, yeah, shout out Jesse Delgado for being making me crazy. Um, but yeah, Jesse Delavecchia is doing that these days. Not at the same level, but he's pretty solid. Um, this guy that jumped around weight classes a lot, which is always interesting. I, I interviewed him at a, at a tournament. That's why I know so much about him. But yeah, it's definitely a, a common thing. I think it was more common the first couple of years after Askren because everyone's like, this is the new thing. Like, I don't need defense. I can do this. <laughs> and a lot of people were right, but basically everyone knows how to deal with leg passing at that level at this point. Um, but yeah, I saw Aljo doing some stuff there, and uh, it's cool. Uh, I think uh, Brett Johns tries to hit a Granby on him 
in their fight, and Elgin is exactly what to do, and he you know, he he, get, he passes a leg of his own, he gets height with it, so Johns can't move him around from there. So it's you know, basic, uh, basically similar dynamics to the leg lock game in jiu-jitsu, just because you have to think about it. It's so similar with how you offset someone's weight, you know, by attacking their legs. Um, I don't know a ton of about it, ton about it, but I just you know I know the basics and this, the basics are similar. But uh, Aljo hasn't had to rely on funk too much. I mean, the funk he's ever got was when uh, he slipped kicking against Barrow and had to uh, leg lock his way out of that situation. But he might say very uh, like philosophically funky style, like going for weird stuff. Uh, that he like hits the Sulaweb stretch and like you know, uses that as a breakdown, uh, you know, from tripod and from uh, rear standing and stuff like that when he has the back. Um, that that's something you could do in college theoretically. You can't you know knee bar someone, but you can break them down by attacking the leg when you're on their back. Uh, it's definitely possible. But yeah, I, I didn't look at too much tape of his college career. It's just not important. Uh, but yeah, let's just get into a little mini breakdown here. So. Uh, when a wrestler transitions to MMA, usually you see a couple different things, and th- these are all true for Sterling. Uh, most of the time they're taking people down, it's because the, the competition level is a little lower. Um, you know, people are a little more skittish, especially when you're facing a good wrestler. You either, like, completely shut down or you get, like, over-aggressive and jumpy and, like, your, your stance falls apart a little bit and everything looks a little sloppier. Uh, Dustin Poirier versus Khabib is a good example of that. Uh, just a Dustin seeming to like lose ability on on the feet, uh, just because he's like not sure, you know, what's okay. Like, can I step this way? <laughs> like, can I put pressure here? Like, can I move forward? Um, which was an unfounded fear because Khabib is not a reactive shooter, so that's not exactly when you need to be worried about that. But I get it. I get it. I get the idea. And that's not to say that Khabib can't like suddenly close distance and shoot on you. It's just like if you are actually pressing him backward, it's not as much of an issue as like just you know advancing. Maybe more more of an issue there. Um, but yeah, early on, like guys like uh, you know uh, Hugo Viana, uh, who I actually liked at the time, and I saw that one live. Um, you know Cody Gibson, even who is a wrestler, um, folks like that. They're, they're you know they're coming forward. They're swinging. Uh, their hips are exposed, you know, they're, they're on one level. Uh, so it's pretty easy to level change and get to a, to a double opportunity or a single opportunity. Uh, what's cool about Aljo is that his uh, punching mechanics are tighter now, but they were super sloppy for a while. Uh, but that actually worked out for him <laughs> because he could be, like, level changing and, like, winging a, a crazy loopy overhand, and he'll end up with, you know, double unders. He'll end up with a body lock just because, like, if he was punching a little tighter, maybe, you know, he'd end up clashing with the elbow or the, the window wouldn't be the same for where he's reaching and his punches are all just kind of like clinch entry opportunities. So uh, when you're a lanky or taller guy for your weight class, it's definitely harder to get like a, a nice level change to hit the legs uh, the way you want to. So uh, especially in MMA when you're not dropping all the way down anyway. So super early on when he was closer to his roots, you see Aljo like taking full penetration steps and hitting the knee and all that. Um, and actually having more success finishing from that in that style just because, you know, he's closer. <laughs> it's a bit more controlled and, like, he can finish on the mat and not have to stand him up and finish. Uh, he's not quite as good at finishing uh, singles from standing, which becomes an issue later. We'll talk about it. Um, yeah, when, when you're a little bit taller, it's hard to get to the legs like that. So uh, being able to, like, come off the legs right into, like, a, you know, body lock or double unders or something, some clinch position is usually helpful. Um, although strangely enough, he's not, he's eager. He's, a 
enthusiastic about finishing upper body takedowns, but I wouldn't call him exceptionally skilled in that area. I think it's like a skill set he has, but it's not like a huge threat. You know what I mean? It's not like Henry Cejudo's inside trip where like, yeah, he's probably going to hit this on you if you get into over-unders with him. Um, yeah, he hit like a really nice, um, like a Polish throw, basically similar mechanics, but it was just off an underhook. I think he had like an over-under body lock. I mean, I can, I can pull it up right now. I can look at it. Oh yeah. Oh, since I'm watching it, basically, uh, Augusto Mendez was targeting the body. He, but he just, he was loading up a lot. His entries were pretty predictable about when he was going to throw punches. Um, so Sterling was not having a hard time, uh, you know, moving and <laughs> moving his way into, uh, clinches and, uh, other spots. Although he didn't want to shoot straight in on this guy just because Augusto Mendez, uh, Tankino is, you know, very credentialed at grappling. He's got a dangerous guard. You don't really want to, you don't want to screw up and put yourself in a bad position there. But basically Sterling's weaving back and check hooking, uh, Mendez, you know, level changes and just, you know, rises back up into the clinch. So it wasn't anything special that Aljo was doing, just like avoiding the collisions and staying in the pocket and ending up in these clinch positions. So just being relatively cool under pressure it is enough to get clinch positions some of the time. Uh, yeah, he gets an underhook. He gets double unders. Oh, yeah, it's a double under body lock, and he uh, runs him back, steps around on the right, and it's a sag throw, but it's not a sag throw like uh, Ben Askren hit on Damian Maya, where he just kind of fell back and you know torqued him backwards, so Maya was twisting over his base leg. He had nowhere to go because the you know the leg is tripped by the the weaving leg of the attacker. Um, this is similar. I, I like to do this to my girlfriend, and I never hit it because she won't let me finish it. Uh, <laughs> when I hug her, uh, you collapse in and you step around to the side, and instead of like looping and like pulling the leg, you just use your knee on the inside of their knee on on the outside of their knee rather, and collapse it in, and then torque that body lock and twist it over that side so they can't uh, plant on that leg and they'll go over. But yeah, Aljo did it in a cool, a cool hoppy motion. It was really nice. Uh, so yeah, that's how I took Gusto Mendez. But other than that, he, uh, he had like a failed body lock on uh, Brett Johns. He hasn't done too much from the upper body positions. So that's not really a factor here. So, I, you know, I really focused on the shooting mechanics, like the shooting game of uh, Aljo, which is, you know, 95% of the time how he's trying to operate. Uh, it's interesting just for someone that tries to be so long and kicky. Uh, Dominic Cruz did a good job explaining it just because it's conceptually similar to what he does where you know, he's making you want to close distance on him by being very high volume with his kicks. It's just annoying. Like No one in the UFC, uh, for the most part, has good enough kick defense where he can't just spam kicks. <laughs> I mean, he's got good mechanics on them. They're, they're fast, so they don't need to be perfect. They don't need to be well set up. He can just throw them, and people will be like, ow, stop kicking me, and they'll try to close him down. And when people are trying to close you down, it's a lot easier to get to their legs because they're, you know, stepping into your range. You can time them. And also, you don't have to, you know, find ways into that distance yourself. You can just let them come to you and keep kicking and then, oh, here they are. Um, what's tricky for Aljo is that he is not, like, a great reactive double type of guy. Uh, he's got, he's hit some, uh, but it, it's not it's not so simple like uh, Cody Gibson rushing in and like he he level changes and he throws an overhand but the overhand was so wide and Gibson was rushing in so hard he just ends up getting a body lock <laughs> and uh, running into the cage oh he did he tried to hit that uh, that same like sag Polish throw finish there that's funny but like Hugo Viana 
uh, you know, just winging an algo level changes and uh, goes head outside on the double and uh yeah he finished body lock there too so in his earlier career he was much more dependent on finishing body lock but i guess that speaks to the point that i started to make when i began that sentence was that you know with aljo's shooting style uh being super reactive doesn't suit him all that well just because it takes so much more effort for him to make a full level change and get to the legs um john jones has a really similar issue he's having that issue right now uh, which is interesting because now he's like much more committed to a pressure style and I think it's good for him um, because his best wrestling work has always been on the cage, uh, you know, getting wrist control and, and hitting doubles on the cage. So, uh, you know, it, it could work out. But yeah, when he's getting pressed uh, or like he, if he has any fear of like forward pressure, um, which he should because he's bad off the back foot and he has one line of defense. If you get past it, he's kind of screwed besides his awesome chin. <laughs> like we saw against Dom Reyes, um, but he he doesn't really have in his back pocket like a you know gonna hit you with a reactive shot and it's definitely gonna work. Um, people thought that his reactive shot attempts against Gustafsson uh, were clinch setups, but I think you know upon rewatching it, it was just him failing to double Gustafsson. I said Gustafsson the first time. I'm gonna correct myself. I'm not gonna keep that up. Yeah, you know, I like to say names correctly, but you know sometimes it just it's too silly. You know, Goose. So that's that's not cool not that Gus is cool but like I don't know I just don't want to dis disrespect him like that so it's Gustafson uh, but yeah I think that was just him failing to take Gustafson down and ending up with the clinch where he's good um, and you know it's like oh okay I don't really have to commit to this double now if I fail it yeah I'm in the clinch but I don't think he shot to get into the clinch I think it was just like a, a you know a fail safe anyway Aljo has a similar issue where he's tall and it's hard to take full level changes, especially when you're trying to be in a striking stance and you're still learning striking, uh, which is also true of John Jones. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> so that wasn't really his best option uh, unless guys are just charging in on him, which pretty much never happened again after those first few fights. Um, you can see this really well uh, against Takeya Mizugaki, where Mizugaki is fainting his way in, and even though he doesn't have great takedown defense he doesn't at all actually it was still aljo hitting these reactive shots when mizugaki wasn't compromised in his position so the takedown did not come easily plus now you know mizugaki isn't charging straight forward so the level change isn't really you know deep enough the, the penetration step isn't deep enough that he can get to a double and he's you know he's a head inside single guy anyway so it's not like that's really there and you know when you're in your stance and a guy's closing on you too fast he didn't really have time to set your feet and look for the double and you just kind of drop to whatever's there and it's usually the leg um so he's just dropping in place and, and hitting a leg and getting underhooked and he's still taking mizugaki down because mizugaki is you know kind of unbalanced and not super physically strong and aljo's huge um but you can just tell like he's he's struggling a lot to get through these shots he doesn't really have a strong penetration uh he can't really run someone over with a shot he has good footwork you know if he's in on a double he can finish it or get to a body lock off of it but he's not the guy that's going to blow you off your feet so especially when he's not prepared to intercept you which he's usually not um you know i'm watching this fight from what like 2014 2015 uh you know his last fight against pedro munoz it's the same thing where he's trying to hit these reactive shots against the guy pressuring him super hard and he's getting nowhere and plus he doesn't want to commit too hard because of the guillotine um which was an issue against a bunch of guys. I mean, he fought Munoz, he fought uh, uh, Tanquino, Augusto Mendez, he fought uh, 
Brian Caraway. It, it's been there's been a lot of guillotine artists <laughs> that he's fought, so maybe that adjusted his tactics. That that's one thought on that matter. But basically, what ended up working out for Aljo uh, was proactive shooting, basically creating his own opportunities and not relying on other people, um, which is difficult with his style, just because you know, he does want to be outside kicking. Um, and not everyone lets him pressure them. <laughs> Basically, he doesn't have any strategy besides kicking to dissuade pressure and become the pressurer, and he seems pretty content to, to concede that. Um, we haven't seen him against too many defined pressure fighters to make that call. Um, it's really just Munoz, who's like the pressure guy, um, as far as people he fought. But like, even against Asuncao, who you know says, yes, please try to pressure me. Um, he didn't do it <laughs> so, so I, I don't think he's the guy to become the pressure fighter which is a shame because I think a lot of his best work has become has come on when he's on the front foot and he's trying to create action um, I would say the earliest times well in, in the early days when he was trying to shoot on his own it was pretty bad um, not, not that there's anything you know horribly wrong with what he was doing it's just that it's, it's the Khabib issue where if you are taking a shot where you didn't try to create some sort of motion out of them and you're shooting straight on, it's like, cool, I got to the leg, but I didn't put them out of position at all first. Um, you still have to fight through that shot. And in an MMA fight, like actually going through the motions of finishing you know, wrestling motions, um, it's, too, it's too much. It's too hard. Uh, so that's why I try to differentiate wrestling for MMA and, you know, wrestling, wrestling. Uh, you, you can, you know, not necessarily take breaks, but protect yourself a little bit in different ways. Whereas, like, you don't want to get at all tired <laughs> in an MMA fight. You don't want your arms to get heavy. You know, you don't have resting positions. Like, sometimes you do, but it's just, it's too risky. It's too risky to get tired. And Aljo's super fit, um, but it's still, it's still a problem for him. And it's, it leads to failure more likely. Um, so he's hitting these inside singles, and he's a guy that likes to finish on the mat, his takedowns. He doesn't like to stand with the leg and finish. Um, and that's super exhausting as well as standing at the leg and trying to finish over a super long time and someone's hitting you and they're, you know, whizzering hard, pulling your arm down and they're, you know, making it difficult for you and you're trying to hold them against the cage and they're balancing on one leg. And it's, it's, there's a ton going on and there's no ref to break up the situation usually. So you have to keep going, uh, which makes it, you know, twice as hard. So that sucks. Um, and when he's trying to finish it on the mat, being a head inside single guy, trying to like, you know be next to the leg be at next like seated outside the leg uh in mma with no shoes limp legging and kicking out is pretty much a sure thing uh which is why aldo maybe not why he structured his stance this way but why aldo in his stance you know everyone had to be basically be shooting singles on him they couldn't shoot doubles on him because his hips weren't there uh his other leg wasn't there and plus he's so good at pivoting and turning and favoring that hip uh, also with his lead hand mechanics so it's like really hard to get to a double on the guy and if you even if you do he's gonna wizard and try to turn turn his hips in so you're still on the single and then he's just gonna you know post create space limp leg kick out uh and he did that to everybody <laughs> so it's like uh you don't see it as often in mma which is weird because you should um because it's not i mean it, yes it's hard but if someone's taking their time on the finish and they don't have a super tight clamp and you're sweaty uh pretty easy to kick your leg out of there i think you'll find um which is what Aljo has run into a couple times against Brett Johns. He ran into that against Cody Stamen. He ran into that. Uh, these guys who with enough competency to realize like, yeah, I can, I can limp leg and kick out of this, <laughs> especially when you're taking your damn time on the mat, like trying to get position and like reach back and cover the hip or something like that, like cheat the finish. 
uh, in college that might work out because you have time to do that and as soon as you get the hand on the hip oh it's two when you get points uh, here you actually have to control them and it's a lot different so uh, not a great look for him to just you know take these straight on shots in the beginning it was more possible just because the guys he was fighting didn't have good takedown defense didn't have good wrestling fundamentals so he could do whatever he wanted to them uh, but now he's dealing with a higher level of skill higher level of competency and it's tougher to get to the range he wants because they're better strikers as well uh, so you know that, that complicated things so what did he do uh, a few different things against a few different people I don't think his style is solidified yet I don't think his approach is solidified yet uh, he's very much still a you know developing fighter in my eyes even though he's reaching his close to his prime he's 30 years old uh you know he's 30 years old he's been fighting for you know it's got to be close to 10 years now yeah 2011 so he's been fighting for nine years uh <clears throat> he's had you know over 20 fights uh you know it's 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 creeping up it's creeping up he hasn't taken a ton of damage i mean he did get that cold more ice knockout but you know i, I think he's a few fights away from maybe we'll, the best we'll see from him in terms of a combination of skill and physicality. That doesn't mean he'll get, he won't get better at fighting. It just means like his body will not keep up probably. And his best is probably a few years away. And that, this is a weird thing to say against about a guy who's on a four fight win streak, but I don't know. I think he's got to figure this out if he wants to be, you know, championship level and sticking around and, and being that guy. Um, Cause I think he has a potential. I think it, it's there. He has to ha hammer down his style a little bit more. Uh, it's hard to decide what that actually means just because a few different things have worked for him. So I think uh, one of the best looks I've seen from him was against Brett Johns, uh, the way he created uh, opportunities in open space. One of the things I really, really like that he's doing that I think he should keep doing uh, is shooting off kicks, shooting off his own kicks, not shooting off his opponent's kicks. Shooting off your opponent's kicks is cool if you have like a really good hair trigger on, on seeing kicks coming, or if you've picked up a pattern of when to make them kick. Uh, but that's so hard. That's such a hard game to play. It's like, I'm gonna make you kick, and here, I'm gonna design my whole game around you kicking. Um, I'm gonna know exactly when you do it. Like don't, being, it's, it's being reactive, and being reactive is reliable. You know, it, it works a lot of the time if you see it coming, but having to like figure it out and wait for it to come is like just such a, excruciating game to play being so you know reactive counter reliant if you look at yoel romero or valentina shevchenko like that is a you have to have a crazy mentality to be able to pursue that fight with such discipline um holly holm like i, I think the heavy hands guys have talked about it like you have to be boring <laughs> you have to be okay with being boring and not get bored of being boring you gotta do your thing and you gotta stick with it like I don't recommend that for anyone. Like, you have to be insane to pull that off. So, proactive kicking. Proactive opportunities, proactive shooting instead of reactive. Uh, reactive is always there, but I think your game should be reactive unless your striking game is super well suited to running people into stuff and creating opportunities, which basically just means be good at boxing. Uh, you have to be a good boxer, which is like a tall order because that's a lot of work. And they're working on so many other things. And, you know, you have some of the other tools at your disposal to, you know, take shortcuts. So, why not take shortcuts? So here we go. Aljo, kicking. So Brett Johns loads up on, a, on an outside rear low kick and combos it into a lead hook as Johns tries to recover in his stance because the low kick put him off. Um, 
and then as soon as Johns is back in his stance, Aljo's still in front of him. He goes to shoot, I mean, he goes to throw a punch, and uh, Aljo basically does that same overhand entry we talked about uh, and hits that, that level change under the window of Johns' lead arms. They're in a closed stance, uh, an open stance matchup here, rather. So Aljo stepped his lead foot outside of John's lead foot, pretty deep penetration outside the foot there. It's like the Russian outside step setup. Uh, he's taking that full level change and he's hitting a little duck under and coming up into a body lock. And this is when he, uh, he throws himself on his back. But the entry was great. And it's just the point that Aljo is getting his combos off and he's timing when the counter is gonna come. He can see it. So yes, it's a reactive shot in a sense, but he created the opportunity. Um, I call that proactive, in my opinion. He made that happen. Uh, I'm looking at another example here. Just, just real basic stuff. Uh, Johns is pressuring super hard. Aljo is, you know, backing up, backing up, and he, he feels out with his lead hand on uh, John's guard because John was using the high forearm guard. He fakes back down to the body, and he showed that that bump level change a couple times with his lead hand, like he's about to fire back, which is what he does when he's on the back foot. He throws a lot. High volume, you know, basic level change, fake up, level change to the uh, the head outside to double, switches off to the single, and uh, that's where he gets kind of stuck. So this whole article is going to be about the entries <laughs> of Aljamain Sterling because his finishes are not as good <laughs> as his entry. He's got a really quick shot, which is great, which is why I think he uses it inefficiently sometimes because it's so easy for him to get to shots. Um, but yeah, his, his finishes sometimes lead him to trouble. I mean, he didn't take down Jimmy Rivera once. You remember that fight as him, like, controlling Rivera the whole time? He didn't take him down. He just held him against the cage. He got to his shots, but he didn't do anything with it. Um, he won because he outstruck him. But maybe he outstruck him because he was tired from being held. Who knows? Who knows? But the point is, he's not a super efficient finisher. Um, keep that in mind. But he's great at getting to shots, and that's the whole thesis of this this article is he can get to legs pretty consistently. Um, one more Brett Johns example, just a you know jab level change <laughs> into a double, but I mean that seems like basic stuff. He wasn't doing it before. He wasn't jabbing and level changing. He wasn't incorporating these wrestling setups into his striking mechanics. Basically, besides that overhand, that was the only thing he had going for him. And you don't think of Aljo as an overhand guy, like meat and potatoes, overhand, unga wrestler, but he was. He totally was. Okay, I lied. One more. He uh, he throws a front kick, a rear leg front kick, and uh, right off the front kick, he drops into his level change because uh, I think a couple other times before that, he had shown front kick into a straight as he was putting his uh, his arm back down instead of the straight, and Johns lifts up the high guard. He you know, pops under for the, for the entry. Uh, so just, you know, having a, a lot of different combinations, a lot of different looks you like to throw, which is one of the strengths of a striking game, and just building building shots into them. Uh, you wait to see what your opponent has learned about your combinations. What are they reacting to? What is that reaction? What does that open up? And, I mean, if you have a quick leg attack, if you have a quick single that you can get to, then, I mean, that that's very versatile because it doesn't require a huge reaction. They just need to raise their arms up and be in front of you for one second. You can be on their leg. Um, what I think moving forward is going to be sustainable for him is doing this against the cage because, like I said, his finishes are not all that great. Uh, I compared him to Khabib, but I think what Khabib has going for him is he's super duper strong. He's not quite as tall, so like lifting on finishes and getting underneath people 
is a lot more of a thing. And, and again, he is specialized in lifting singles. <laughs> He's very good at lifting with his head inside or head outside. Um, and all he has to do is lift to straighten you up, and then he can trip out the base leg. Because uh, if you're being lifted, it's very hard to be wide in your stance. It's basically impossible. So you can't do anything about your leg being very close to your other leg and there for tripping. Uh, Aljo doesn't really have that, and I don't think he should have that. He's much more of a cardio, speed, uh, you know, lanky strength kind of guy. He doesn't have that, like, that core power. Um, maybe he does, but it, w- it would probably be tiring. And he has tired himself out before, you know, trying to be strong, like against Brian Caraway. He tried to submit him with a full Nelson, and that was not the best idea. Uh, but yeah, in a few of his fights, he showed how he can be good against the cage. I would say Burrell was the first time, had him Burrell. Uh, and he showed also just the overall craft to be, you know, contentious in the clinch against good guys. Uh, basically, Barrow is trying to punch him along to the fence with an underhook. It's not a good position. Barrow is like completely bent over and has no, no base, no stance. But uh, Aljo just, you know, fishes his hand inside the hip and uses that as a lever uh, while pulling on his underhook to turn him as they get hit the fence. So he's not trying to push back. Is reversing that momentum. It just shows he has a good overall feel in the clinch, even if I talked a little trash on his upper body takedowns before. Uh, so that nice little outside trip. Yeah, but and because he's so good at digging underhooks, because I think probably because his punches are so wide, that's why he gets there so often, uh, he'll he'll always have that leverage. So I think you know pursuing clinch opportunities is going to be a good look for him moving forward. Plus, he doesn't have to level change as much. Uh, I, I'm basically encouraging him to be more like John Jones, but I think he could be, I mean, he already is, but he could be so much more, so much more with, with the same approach, basically. Uh, super pressure heavy, you know, clinching, you know, shooting to the cage, finishing shots in the cage, stuff like that. I think that could be his thing. Um, and being a cage shooter, by the way, when you have super long arms, like Kevin Lee or John Jones is awesome. Because even if they underhook you, you can still probably reach to get around both legs and finish doubles. Uh, and he has shown to be pretty strong in that regard. So that is how he got Burrow down. That was the first time Hennon Burrow had been taken down in UFC history. So <laughs> it's a big deal, even if Burrow was washed. Uh, we also saw near the cage, he's using these advanced you know, striking setups that we're seeing against Johns, where he's building the shots into his combinations. Uh, they're in open stance. He fires off his rear straight. Burrow slips outside. And Aljo slips back under the posting hand. So he's slipping and posting. Aljo slips under it. Uh, comes up, snatches up double collar tie and knees, comes right back in, uh, takes a side on stance to step in with his jab, goes in with his jab again. Burrell goes to swing back because you're like, you're so hittable in the stance, it's crazy. And that's when uh, Aljo level changes and gets that double. So he's got he's got ideas, like with his crazy striking that he does where like not everything looks like a good idea. It is kind of bait <laughs> a lot of the time. It's like, come on, hit me. <laughs> uh, and when you're that long, people have to reach to try to hit you, and, and people get suckered into shooting for the head all the time uh, instead of hitting the body, which is super available against Aljo, by the way. Uh, as it is with a lot of MMA fighters, it's just a thing. Uh, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he, he does appear to be very punchable, and he's often you know swaggering about and showboating a bit, so I think that encourages a lot of fighters who are a little uh, easier to anger to swing on him but yeah I think he can bait people into you know standing tall and raising up their hands pretty easily to get these shot opportunities so because he's not like much of a penetrator on his shots he just needs to get to the legs or get to the hips I think just raising raising the level raising the hands is more important than drawing them in 
uh, and being an outfighter. He's been successful, but I just don't think it's a strategy that's going to hold up. And he needs to prepare to fight Peter Yan. And he can't let Peter Yan pressure him. No one can. <laughs> no one can let that happen. Uh, unless you dead him with a counter on, on, while he's doing that early on, Marlon Moraes. Uh, he's going to get you. He'll get you, especially over five rounds. You're done. So I don't care. I don't care how many times you kick him. I think I don't think it's going to work. So I think you need to just turn the tables on him. You need to get him on, on the back foot and... Uh, disrupt his pressure and disrupt his momentum uh magomed magomedov did that way back when um basically every time there is space he, he's also he was contentious in the striking at the time but uh, he, he was shooting from the outside a lot he wasn't hanging back he was making his shots happen but yeah uh aljo showed he can do that against Borau. he also showed he could do that versus cody stamen and i think that one's actually more important because stamen was a wrestling threat and stamen was a pressure threat uh stamen was taking him down the whole fight basically until the end um, but Aljo figured out how to draw out Stamen's offense, and Stamen was uh, kicking off the back foot a lot. And Aljo, you know, caught one and, and took him down pretty easily, obviously, because you're kicking with your back to the cage. Not sustainable, but Aljo also does a really good job of, like, flashing his lead hand, uh, touching, touching, flashing, getting those counters, uh, waiting for the next one, then finding his level changes from there. And again, I don't think his entries are spectacular um, mechanically, because uh, a lot to be desired but the ideas are there he can get to them he he's not scared <laughs> that's really important so i think there's, there's a bright feature here also i said it was brett johns who uh tried to granby roll or funk roll or something it was a uh, stamen stamen tried to roll him and uh yeah he uh he caught stamen's leg and uh got height with it and posted and got to one knee and got height with it so shut that on down um this is a pretty disorganized breakdown but i think the overall idea is uh what ha what has Sterling been trying to do? What's been working? What hasn't been working? Uh, and then let's talk about the Corey Sandhagen fight. That's here's here's my deal. I was talking about guys who like funk first, ask questions later, like <laughs> scrambling as your first line of defense. Um, I think that's Corey Sandhagen. Some people have said that about Jan. I don't like Jan. Like he says, "Oh, oops, what's takedown defense? I'm just gonna scramble." I think his scrambling is what I would call takedown defense, where he's fighting hands and head and stepping over and doing all sorts of, you know, what some might say, scrambly stuff. But I think it's all pretty fundamental, pretty fundamental movements until he gets taken down. Uh, whereas Sandhagen basically concedes, like, yeah, you might get a decent position for a second, but I'm going to I'm gonna leg pass, I'm going to roll, I'm going to knee pull, I'm going to, you know, grand B, I'm going to do all, all whole assortment of things uh, to get out of this. But... Because that was Aljamain Sterling's style, I think he'll be pretty good at dealing with that. He was dealing with it with Stamen. He clearly knows how to work with that. Um, he'll be scouting him. He'll be doing a lot of scrambling, a lot of wrestling in practice. Uh, so I, I don't like it if that's going to be Sandhagen's approach, just because my entire rant for the last half hour has been about how Aljo is really good at getting to the legs, and he has a bunch of different ways that he gets to the legs, and even though the finishes are not you know he has a few different looks for that not all of them are great it won't matter if Sandhagen is just going to concede and say okay you're on my legs let's scramble let's go uh you don't need to do that you don't need to do that because Aljo doesn't you don't have to concede it's not it's not over if he gets to your legs like there's definitely a chance that it's a no-go and I think Corey Sandhagen's probably a better wrestler than than Brett Johns uh or Tegay Mizugaki I think he's you know one of the better wrestlers he's fought so I think he probably has it in him to disengage and not play that game 
Uh, and I don't think he's like a Tony Ferguson where you're not going to be able to change his mind about how to do something. I think he's pretty coachable from what I've heard. So I, I intend on contacting <laughs> the Elevation Fight Team coaches and being like, hey, man, like, what's the, what's the deal here? Are you going gonna to scramble with him? Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's the move just because uh, Sandhagen's going to want to pressure. I think that's going to be great because Aljo seems to be able to accept the role as, as the back foot fighter, and he did so well against Munoz like that. Uh, although Munoz and, and Sandhagen are so different as strikers, as pressurers, as like everything, everything's different. Um, so it's not even remotely comparable, except that Aljo will probably be, be okay not being the one pressuring. I think that's a mistake overall, but it might not matter if he can get to the legs and take him down and win the grappling exchanges and win on top. So I, I haven't broken down the grappling too much, so I don't really, I'm, I'm not positive that Aljo will win the grappling, but my heart tells me he's a very good top player and that Sandhagen's not his bottom game isn't the best part of his game so it's you know probably Aljo's best thing it's one of Sandhagen's pretty good things uh usually not a safe but so I don't I'm not positive he can stop the fight from being there if he's gonna fight the way he usually does uh against like a Sunsao it was great because the Sunsao was hitting these huge lifts and putting him flat in his back there's all this time between the finish and uh you know, when Sandhagen got to make his next move. So he got to, you know, on the way down, already be preparing to leg pass and get out of there. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a weird matchup. Uh, I'll write the article soon, but now you've all heard all of my thoughts pretty much. I'll just have, like, the clips, and you can see them, and I'll structure it nicely, and uh, maybe I won't write it. No, I'll try. I'll try to write it. <laughs> okay, so that was the Sterling breakdown. What did that take? A long time? Yeah, that took a while. Okay, I said I was going to do it, so listener questions, it's happening, okay, it's happening, from over a month ago. I didn't want to do all of them, just because that's too many, uh, but I'm going to do most of them, and I'll say who they're from, and I will give them all a little bit of time at least, and probably cannot predict at all how this is going to go. I've read all the questions, but I didn't think about them or prepare for this at all. I'm just going to go off the cuff and try to knock them out, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, I do not have time to prepare for this many questions, so here we go. I'm going to start with a, maybe a lesser-known friend. This is uh, Adam Fleischman. I think he has something to do with anthropology. This is the second anthropology guy who's asking questions, which is pretty sweet because... Uh, I took, a, I took a decent number of anthropology courses in college, so, you know, near and dear to my heart. It's actually on my, uh, it's not on my diploma, not on my certificate, but I have a related area, which is, like, worse than a minor. <laughs> I have a psych degree and an anthropology-related area, so I have very valuable uh, college education there. But it's okay, because I got another degree after that, and something equally as valuable. So here we go. Anyway, Adam asks, in your opinion, what's the most useful aspect of wrestling for MMA that is invisible to the untrained eye of the casual non-wrestler MMA fan? Example, embracing the grind, head control, balance, etc. So basically, what about wrestling or wrestlers is most useful for MMA that people might not realize? Um, I would say physical factors are probably the biggest thing that people might not understand uh basically anyone who's ever trained jujitsu or you know wrestled obviously but i think i think it's more striking for people that 
do jujitsu, like you're a hobbyist in jujitsu. Maybe you played other sports beforehand, uh, but your main grappling, you know, combat sports thing is, you know, jujitsu, and you're you're pretty good at it. And then, uh, you know, a, a decent high school wrestler comes in the room, and you're like, whatever, this guy's skinny, and he does, you know, manhandles you. You're like, what is going on here? And yeah, he's using strength, he's trying hard, but you can't do anything about it. <laughs> I think we've all been there. This guy's just crushing you. You know, like, what is this? Um, that's basically it. <laughs> that's that's the thing. It's just the different tiers that these people can be on sometimes physically. Uh, yeah, I have this debate a lot with, not a lot, but a little bit with people about, like, how athletic wrestlers are. And I think people misinterpret what I mean. I think in the domains that wrestlers are athletic, it's ridiculous. I don't think they're like well-rounded athletes. I don't think they can do everything. Um, yeah, if you put like an NBA player in like a in a combine, like or you know, you know, NFL players do the combine stuff like that. Maybe they wouldn't outperform everyone there in like each every every single physical task. But like for combat sports, yeah, they can hit really hard. They can explode. They can cover distance. They're super strong. Their cardio is usually great. Um, they're tough, they're insane, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like, those are the things that are really driving them. Like, yeah, they come in with a, uh, a combat sports base. They come with a skill base. They also come with a crazy physical athletic base. And the guys you get transitioning are, you know, as they get to the higher levels, it, it becomes ridiculous. Like, if you watch freestyle wrestling, if you watch the world championships, pretty much all of these guys can pull off stuff that, I would reckon even with 10 years of training, you know, most MMA fighters wouldn't be able to do just because their bodies are built differently. They've been doing this since they were five. Um, bringing that back to anthropology, it just, it shapes you differently. I talked about this last time I did listener questions. I talked about Mongolian horse archers for some reason. But yeah, when you're doing something since you're five, like the load on your body makes you grow differently. <laughs> like your, your skeletal system grows differently. Um, like you, you, your bones are denser. It's it's just a different person than if you didn't do that. Um, it's a big difference. And that, it's not to say that you're doomed if you don't start wrestling when you're five. Uh, I talked to Mark Munoz. What was he, 13, 14? He, he was older uh, when he started wrestling, but he was playing sports beforehand. A lot of these guys were playing sports beforehand. So it doesn't have to be wrestling, but for all of them, it is wrestling for 25 years. And then they get to MMA and they're like, okay, I can take down everybody. Uh, I can manhandle everybody. These guys are weak. That's what Dennis Bermuda said. Did you listen to that? He said he, they were weak. <laughs> he said Jimmy Hedis is weak. I, he was throwing them around. I've I've rolled with Jimmy Hedis. He's not weak. He he ragdolled me. He manhandled me. Like how strong is Dennis Bermuda? What is this? Uh, so I, I would say that's the answer. These guys are freaky freaks, um, and do not underestimate them under any circumstances physically because they will punch a hole through your face that's that doesn't sit i can't speak for every single wrestler um but overwhelmingly that's what they're like um i would say that that is probably the biggest thing uh i'd also say like knowing how to win knowing how to compete uh you know wrestling a ton of matches having a lot of competition experience that could, that can be huge um knowing how to structure a you know a competition and fight multiple times in a day multiple times in a month you know cutting weight knowing how to train for combat sports just you know, being a lifelong combat sports athlete is a huge deal. Like you have so much experience in the, in the, the industry. Um, that's a huge leg up. So tons of reasons, tons of reasons, but that's a really good question. And I think embracing the grind, kind of what I said, like training hard, working hard, 
that's important. Uh, head control, sure. Technical details, that's wrestling, but balance, physicality. But yeah, that, that was that was a really good question. So I, I bumped that up in the order. He responded later, but I said, that's a good one to start with. I'm good on time? We're okay on time. Uh, now for a, a more important question from Sandro, my man, Cool Thought, uh, Jab Zuda, who was uh, on the, the DC uh, Alternate Commentary podcast with Danny Martin. He was in episode four. So good, good job making your commentary debut, Sandro. That was really good. You're funny. You're a funny guy. Um, but Sandro very seriously asked, what is the most effective way to wrestle with the latent emotional effect of one's parents' divorce? And that's, that's heavy, you know. That, that's a really heavy question. Uh, you know, divorce is very serious and traumatic. Um, I think when, you know, you're getting heavy pressure like that, like heavy forward, like crushing pressure like that, you know, misdirecting, uh, redirecting rather that pressure is the best way to wrestle with it. Uh, so I, I think like a like a post a post duck under like a like really sharp dropping uh, like super duck would be a good way to wrestle with that. Um, if you've seen like Bo Nickel do it, uh, you you yourself sent me a clip of uh, Dustin Ortiz and Justin Scoggins. And Ortiz is pressuring in, and suddenly just Scoggins like posts up and and drops and. Ortiz bumps forward a little bit because all that all that pressure was broken, um, like tectonic plates, and he hits that duck under and like slides over to his back. That was cool. So he would do that because the d- divorce is just pressuring forward like that. It's so heavy. Uh, you just gotta find like where there's a window for you to slip through and just push off to one side. Let that pressure go past. You hit that duck under. You're you're behind it now. You're the boss. You know, so that's my answer to that. Um, next question is from Aiden who is a brilliant analyst on the come up. He might be a teenager. Uh, it makes me feel bad. He's very, he's very good at this point. I mean, I was only this good like a month ago. It's crazy. Uh, he asks, how much does takedown defense vary when you add the use of upper body takedowns? For example, Tyron Woodley could stuff Maya's doubles but got manhandled by Usman in the upper body takedowns. To speak to that example, I mean, I think Usman would also have taken him down with doubles in space too also but <laughs> uh you know it's it's definitely different I and mean, people have different skill competencies in different areas so i think that would be the first thing that you that you add in uh but in mma it's weird because uh in wrestling if i get like an over under body lock you're probably gonna get your hips back like way back and there's not much i can do about it uh in mma if you get your hips way back i can knee you in the body you'll say oh i want to not be in this clinch anymore or i don't want this space to be here for you to need me and they're going to change what they're doing and i think it's actually easier to take people down upper body in mma than it is uh to to shoot on them depending on who the person is Uh, you have to be good at upper body takedowns and have to be able to get to those positions but i mean that's a really simple dynamic is changing the space manipulating positioning based on striking within the clinch um and I'm sure that's something a bunch of talented Nakamoi do. Uh, you know, there's a whole system for that that could probably be incorporated into MMA. That Ryan or somebody, uh, Kyle, would be more, you know, better to talk about that. But I, I, I've been asked that question and, like, different versions of that question about upper body takedowns a few times. And I think that's the next development in the meta. I might have just answered another question. Damn, I did. I'll get to that one next. Uh, <laughs> Kiran asks, I'm just going to go right into it, Kiran asks, uh, changes you expect in the wrestling MMA metagame? 
uh, yeah, I think upper body is going to be more common. I think you're going to find more people finding entries for clinch uh, opportunities, and you have better clinch entry artists and, and better clinch striking to clinch takedown uh, you know, technicians, people who can you know, link those things together or at least like get to shots out of the clinch, depending on, on those reactions. I did an article on how John Jones used the clinch to get to his double on the cage. I wrote an article about how Hector Lombard uh, just manhandled Jake Shields. Oh my God, he, he embarrassed him. Uh, so did uh, Akiyama, didn't he throw Shields? That was funny. Uh, but no, Lombard beat him the whole time. Uh, and basically, a really simple thing, John Jones has done this as well. Uh, they were in uh, uh, underhook and collar tie, and uh, they're in open stance. Lombard hits the uh, the, the uh, outside knee to the body, and Shields turns his hip in and gets closer, and he turns side on. So they're already uh, open stance, and he goes all the way to be sideways with them. Uh, and, you know, if you're a judo guy, you're just licking your chops because if somebody's standing completely sideways like that, uh, you can push them left or right, and they're going to go either way. Um, you can't push them backward, but you don't need to. And he uh, foot sweeps him. It's pretty great. So check that article out. It's on Bloody Elbow. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the next development in the meta is people getting a little more uh, tricky with their, their clinch offense just because uh, it's less risky <laughs> to do that to, than to shoot on somebody. It takes less energy. It, there's less consequences in terms of being countered. Um, it's just way easier. You know, people should do it. It's less, you know, it's not as fast. It's a little bit of a slower process, and like you end up in a little more even ground, and it takes longer. But uh, it's probably more sustainable if you're like an old guy. You could probably do that for for longer than shooting on people. Like you think Khabib's style is going to age well? Probably not. He's going to retire sooner than later. Um, but so that's probably like a good uh, old man way to way to fight, I would say. Plus, strength is less than to go, and all you really need is timing and strength uh, to pull some of that stuff off. Um, yeah, besides understanding the mechanics, unless you're just super fragile at this point and like one little knee to the side is going to bust you up. But I think that's the answer to both your questions, Aiden and, and Kieran. Um, okay, next one. Uh, it was a follow-up from Aiden. Sorry, you're not done, Aiden. Is there a certain system to scrambling? What are the keys to constantly build bases, etc.? Um... I think scrambling is a catch-all term for anything that's a transition between positions or if like, you know, anything that isn't a solid position, just like a, se a series of positions is a scramble. Um, so I think there's systems to being able to go through all these different positions, but that's all very specific information based on what those positions are and how you plan on transi transitioning from them. It's basically just like hitting fast forward on the regular match. Um, you're just basically not able to lock down positions and you're just transitioning from one to the other. Um, if you take me down, I go to sit out and you go to hit a suck back and like pull my head to the ground and I, you know, belly down, spin down, and then you come forward and I'm on your leg and then I build up and get my head uh, underneath and then I post and I hit a sit out and then I'm on your back and then I roll through and like that was a scramble, but a bunch of different things happened there. There was no system, it was really just me knowing what to do in all those positions and just moving immediately. And uh, so maybe that's the system is just keep, keep moving, <laughs> keep going, don't break, uh, just keep going and go to your, your best thing that you have in each posi position, like Dustin Ortiz and, and Joe B, uh, you know, Joe B is on his back and Dustin Ortiz hits a headlock from the side. He reaches back and hits a side headlock. 
uh, and is able to, to step over and go into a new position, like stuff like that. Just like doing what you know, keep it going. Uh, having having a lot of different looks, having a lot of different things that you know how to do, I would say is important. Uh, also having the conditioning to keep that doing that <laughs> is important. But no, I, I think those are the keys, but I wouldn't say there's a system. Um, I think it's just like, you have to know a lot of different stuff about positions. You have to be very positionally educated. And usually, um, it's funny, lighter guys end up doing that, I think for two reasons. Uh, one, because it's, you know, they can do more stuff because they're lighter. <laughs> it's less of a load in their body. Uh, but also, lighter people, usually in a room, there's less of them. And you have to train with people who are bigger than you. This has been my experience. And it's harder to hold down positions and get things cleanly on, on bigger people. So you're used to having to create more scramble situations and out hustle them. Um, so you just kind of get to know those systems and become comfortable with them and you know, kind of have a game based around that. So you, you, you have, you have memory, you have muscle memory of doing all that stuff. That's probably what it is, but I mean, uh, maybe someday I'll get a better scrambler on the podcast. I'll get Max, Max Roscoff and we'll talk about it. Cool. Thanks, Aiden. Good questions as always. Uh, the real Shamil, my boy asks, uh, how does wrestling even work? Why aren't MMA fighters smart enough to just stand back up? Uh, you know, in general, I don't know why wrestling works, man. Like, when two people have a wrestling match, I'm like, why don't you just, you know, not let them take you down? You know, it's pretty easy. Uh, but, you know, in MMA, I think wrestling works because, you know, if Conor McGregor and, and, and Khabib got into a wrestling match, obviously Conor wouldn't get taken down, you know, because he'd just say, no, do not, do not take me down. But in MMA, he can be like, oh, I will strike with you, Connor. And then Connor will foolishly believe that he's going to strike with him. And then then he'll take him down because he's too busy thinking about striking. So I think that's why wrestling works. Uh, just because, you know, it, it's a fake art. It's, it's the art of tricksters. Uh, but, you know, MMA is a sport that lends itself to a lot of trickery. So you can fool people into thinking that you're not going to do the cowardly, you know, trickster martial art. But really, you, you had it planned the whole time. Uh, that's really all what my, my series are about, is how to trick people into think you're fighting when really you just want to wrestle um, you know, and, and hug. So I think that's the answer to your question. Uh, Michael Fidel, which wrestling prospects who have stated intentions of transitioning to MMA are you most excited about? Um, a lot of people have stated intentions about transitioning to MMA and then they don't do it, which is always annoying. Uh, I'll just say, you know, some high-profile people that said they were going to do it that haven't done it yet. Richie Lewis, U23 world champion, uh, wrestled at Rutgers. He uh, he did not. <laughs> he just kept wrestling. I don't know where he's been up to, but uh, hopefully training. Maybe he's doing it, maybe he's not. Uh, but yeah, Richie Lewis. And then a similar type of guy, Pat Downey, who uh, was on the 2019 world team, uh, has a junior world medal, I believe. He, he's He's decent he's solid he's definitely a character uh i don't particularly i don't really consider myself a fan of his you know from his style or his personality i don't know maybe he's a good guy i haven't met him but yeah he, he said he was gonna do it and then uh he didn't do it he kept wrestling and then he made a world team so i guess it was a good thing he didn't do it but guys that i'm excited about uh, that said they were going to do it. I mean, first, Imar said he was going to do it. Isaiah Martinez, two-time NCAA champion, four-time finalist, said he was going to do it. And then he got a job at Oregon State, so I think he's not going to do it. Um, psh, bunch of people. Bunch of people said they were going to do it. 
someone that I think is going to do it is Jordan Oliver. Uh, he's talked about it before. Jordan Oliver, uh, NCAA champion, uh, has been you know one of the top guys at 65 kilograms for a few years now and 70 kilograms. I think he's awesome. He uh, he has wins over Zane. He uh, you know goes close with Yanni. He trains with Yanni. Um, yeah, you know, a bunch of high-profile international wins. I could probably do more research before I start talking about that, but he has a really cool style, a really cool wrestling style that I, that I appreciate, but he said he was going to do it. He has a lot of tattoos, which leads to believe that he'd like to fight in a cage, um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he said he was going to do it, and if he doesn't make the team this year, uh, it's likely that he switches over. And then someone that did say they were going to come, that's that's a pretty big deal, is uh, Bryce Meredith. He's a NCAA finalist uh, for Wyoming, and uh, yeah, he's he's really good, <laughs> really good at wrestling. Great leg attacks, a good scrambler, high pace. Uh, has a win over Dean Heil, NCAA champion. And he's solid. He's a bit of a pretty boy. Like he's got nice hair and like looks like he wears makeup. Even though I think that's just his face. Um, so you know, you wonder, you wonder if he's gonna like be cool with getting hit and stuff. But and Wyoming's a tough room. If you survive in Wyoming, you're probably a tough guy. Uh, shout out my friend Sam Egan, who uh, tells us all the time about the sadistic training methods of Wyoming wrestling. And they're at elevation, too, so it's like double, double sadistic. Um, so I think Bryce will be fine. And he's at a Sanford MMA, which is uh, Henry Hooft. That's a Black Zillions, Hard Knocks 365, and now Sanford MMA. Uh, so he's there with like uh, Storley and Chandler and Usman and probably other people. I think that's a great gym to be at right now if you're a wrestler. Uh, that's like the new AKA, just getting all the wrestling talent. So that, that's a bit of an answer, Michael. Uh, thank you. Jack the Good Fighter Shill. I think I recommended that he have that name. I forget what his original name was, but now it's the Good Fighter Shill. Um, in MMA, does the cage benefit offensive or defensive wrestling more? Uh, that's, you know, probably, it's a very loaded question, but I'm just going to, you know, go ahead and say it benefits offensive wrestling more uh it's because you can take your time on things you can build you can stick somebody on it you can move from position to position um and like yeah you can get up a little bit easier on the cage but you still have you're still being controlled when you get up um i think it's a huge benefit to offensive wrestling especially upper body like clinch wrestlers that's that's huge because you can't just back your hips out you got nowhere to go uh it's added a whole new element of how to take people down so I mean, some people, that's their entire takedown game is the cage. Uh, you can't say anyone's entire system is getting on the cage and getting up. So it's like, I, I would say offensively, it's a bigger deal. Um, defensively, it has its merits, obviously. But I think uh, the meta has evolved past people just being able to wall walk and get up. And now it's like people want to be on the cage to wrestle. Um, cool. Smesh Jitsu only, who we just call Smesh. He's our boy. He's a good guy. I think he's also a teenager. These guys are young, man. They're like really smart and funny and cooler than me and I feel very insecure um, about all of them but here here he is asking me a question this is over a month ago he's probably outgrown me at this point um, he asks is there a most useful takedown like how the jab is one of the most versatile punches to land, to build off of uh, no not really um, in wrestling at least not really like every every takedown requires effort uh, the jab in, in wrestling will be more like you know, a snap down <laughs> or like a shrug or a shock or, you know, something, something smaller, a smaller setup movement, like an outside step. Um, so I say like the snap down is like the jab. 
uh, as far as like most useful takedown, like most useful knockout punch, it's like the same kind of question. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one that I think has most utility in MMA is probably a, a double just because reactively it's really great at intercepting momentum and proactively if you're pressuring or blitzing and you can get someone to the cage, that's probably the best, uh, best thing to shoot there but that's a really simple way of answering that question but it would require more research to answer that with any more depth so i'm not going to thanks mesh this is from kiran and i answered that but there was a second part to kiran's question the first part was changes you expect in the mma wrestling meta i said clinch stuff and then he said have certain countries wrestlers had more or less success in mma due to their style of wrestling um hmm interesting i think we're not at the point where we can say that yet because not enough countries wrestlers have gone into mma um so i think it's mostly just been a byproduct of like the infrastructure being there like japan has a decent amount of wrestlers in mma but it's like mostly lower level guys for the most part and or like high level girls the, the level of women's wrestling in mma is pretty high for japan um that's just because you know japan has a big mma infrastructure United States has a big MMA infrastructure. Russia, Russia's interesting because they, they do have a big MMA infrastructure, but they also have a big wrestling infrastructure to keep those guys wrestling. And most of the people you have transferring that have, I'm doing air quotes, wrestling backgrounds, like weren't at any decent level. Um, so I, I don't think we can say yet. I don't think we can say yet. Um, I'm interested to find out if like we ever get to that point where there's a bunch of countries who have other guys doing it. But no, I don't think we're there yet. Cool. Thank you, Kieran. This is from, uh, this guy changes his name, so I'm not really sure what to call him, but uh, he's Michael Chiesa's number one fan. It's uh, Grand Moff Larkin, also Grand Admiral Khan. I guess it's a playoff of uh, the guy from uh, Star Wars, maybe. I don't know. He can correct me if he wants. I'm sure he'll listen to this. Um, who are some of the most diverse takedown artists in MMA? Not necessarily best. Basically, who does the most takedowns? I've seen Marab do a wide mix of lower and upper body techniques. Marab Devalish, really? Yeah, I'd say he's a good shout. I'm not, like, super high on Marab just because I don't think he's... I don't know. The reason he has to take people down so many times is because, you know, he has some control issues. Um, but he has a great... He definitely weaponizes his cardio. He has great pace. He's got a decent wrestling. He's actually not a wrestler. He's a sambo player and a judo, I believe. Ben interviewed him. Ben Cohen interviewed him, so that's where I got that information from, but... Yeah, people are super high on him. I just, you know, when I see someone who's not efficient with their leg attacks, not efficient with their wrestling, uh, I worry about them because somebody will probably be able to shut that down. Then your your game is a little bit uh, neutered pretty early on there. You know, kill it in its infancy in the fight. So don't love Marab as a fighter, but I definitely appreciate him and like him. But I, I worry about him moving forward. Uh, that wasn't your question. <laughs> your question was the most diverse takedown artist in MMA. Uh, well, I think, I think actually Khabib is a good shout, even though he's become much more, uh, you know, head inside single and, uh, double against the cage reliant. He can hit a, a whole bunch of stuff off of, uh, clinch positions. He can just bump you forward from where you're standing. He can go, go over unders. He can go like, uh, I don't think it's Harai Goshi or Osotogari. It might be Osotogari that he hit against RDA, but He's got a good mix of things he can do from upper body. I would say he's more diverse upper body than anything. Um, on that same note, uh, Islam Makashev is really good. 
mixing mixing up his shots with upper body. Uh, he's more known for his foot sweeps and uh, you know, smaller smaller scale trips, uh, inside reefs than uh than Habib is. But he's great. While I'm on the subject of Russians, uh, I would say Ali Bagov is pretty damn diverse. He, he can do a lot uh, between his uh his leg attacks and clinch attacks, which helps when you're hulked up and you can just do anything to anybody. Um, yeah, who who else? I mean, John Jones used to be very diverse when he was hitting a whole assortment of throws because people were pressuring into him very stupidly in the clinch. Um, and he, he had a couple of different leg attacks he would hit. Um, I'm sure there's more people, but I don't really want to think about it <laughs> right now. Uh, Hector Lombard, actually, when, when he does wrestle, I mean, just having a, a deep judo base, you have a bunch of different moves you can hit that people aren't used to. Um, plus, you know, he actually does have a good double and uh, good setups for his double. I, I wrote about that a, a long time ago, all the different wrestling attacks of Hector Lombard. Um, Cobb Swanson, Mike Brown, um, there's a bunch of guys. I don't know. I, I should have prepared. Sorry. <laughs> Hope that helps. Uh, AB, my man's asked, uh, best blast double in wrestling. I'm going to assume that means wrestling, wrestling, and not MMA, uh, people who wrestle. Jordan Burroughs is a common answer. It's a good answer. Uh, Anthony Valencia is also a good answer if you're talking U.S. domestic. Uh, case in point, he's still at a very decent level, basically only having a double, so that's big. Uh, but the answer is Nate Jackson. Uh, he wrestles at the NJRTC. He wrestled for Indiana. He's got like five kids. And uh, yeah, he can just he can just double people. Not Pretty much no one else in the world can just shoot their double whenever they want and run through you uh, at a certain level. And he was at the uh, the Medved, which is a pretty tough international tournament. And I saw him just running people down, and they couldn't do anything about it. He's one of those long arm people, where it doesn't matter if you get underhooks, and he can just get behind your legs anyway. And he has the horsepower to run you over, and he does it to a lot of people. Um, yeah, there are other people who have different stances and are a little bit more diligent hand fighting. Don't let him get the shots off the same way, and they keep him on the back foot with their offense. He's not unbeatable or anything, but his double is insane so watch nate jackson shout out nate jackson uh philippe my boy my co-worker he has a question it is a good one can you help me understand all the advantages and disadvantages there are in an mma fight when it's an open stance matchup okay so it also depends on your stance so if i am left-footed if i'm an orthodox fighter my left foot's forward you're orthodox and your left foot's forward, we are in an open stance matchup, so if I throw my, my lead leg body kick, uh, that'll, that'll hit the open side of your body. Um, okay, so if you take your penetration step, you're going to be basically shooting head outside, and you're going to have a line with your lead arm to their lead leg. So your double's good from there, your high crotch is good from there, um, and just as far as shots, as far as leg attacks. I don't recommend shooting a high crotch like that, but I do recommend shooting your double like that. So for double legging, closed stance is really good. Um, open stance is really nice because if I am left-legged and you're in open stance and you're a southpaw uh, and I have a good outside sweep single, I can hit that really easily because our feet are lined up for me to hit that. Um, or like I can drop head inside single like Aljo Sterling, something like that. But uh, it's rocky if I am, you know, 
if, if that's not my dominant shooting leg and I'm, you know, orthodox in your southpaw more open stance and I can't shoot a sweep single off my left leg, then I'm kind of screwed. Um, so you have to have diversity of attacks. Uh, but assuming, like, you, you can get that lined up and that's actually where you shoot off of, then it's, it's fine there. Uh, but yeah, basically it's about shot selection and it just depends on what you're able to do and which leg you use to do that. Um, so it depends for different wrestlers, but basically it's those basic shot dynamics where, uh, you know, single legs and, and sweep singles and outside shots are, are going to be easier, um, from open stance and, you know, straight on shots like doubles are going to be easier from close stance. So same with like duck unders and like getting under and getting behind the, the back. Although you can do that from open stance too. It's just a little easier because you don't have to cross their entire body to get there. Um, he asked me to go deep about it, but you know, I can't. I don't want to. So I'm not going to. Um, and then Pelican Head. I don't know his name. He's an NH wrestle fan, New Hampshire wrestling fan. So call him PH, Pelican Head. Uh, I don't know why he named himself that. Maybe his head is Pelican-like. He asked for under-the-radar college guy that you think could have a good MMA career. Well, I thought Dom Forey's from Pitt was going to do MMA, and I don't know what he's up to, but I thought for sure he was going to do MMA. Uh, under-the-radar guys? Maybe not that under-the-radar, but I think Brock Zacherl will have a really good MMA career if he does that, although he said he's going to coach and do freestyle, so never mind. Um pfft. Like, our definitions of under the radar are, are so different because, like, I'm thinking under the radar for my art audience, which is, like, everybody in college. But for you, like, you know people. So it's like, uh, I can't really surprise you with anybody. You know what I mean? Uh, but, I mean, I bet, like, my audience doesn't know who Gable Stevenson is. Like, he's going to have a good career um, if he doesn't go to jail. And uh, so he, he, he got arrested recently, if people didn't know. Uh, there's a whole scandal about sexual assault, so hopefully that wasn't true. Um, I don't know. I always thought Nathan Tomasello would be a good fighter. He went to Ohio State. Um, it's it's hard to say. I was really rooting for Pantelio to get into fighting. I was trying to hook him up with Darren Crookshank so he'd do it, but he didn't do it. So, like, guys I'm enjoying right now in college that I want to do MMA? Hmm. Hard to say. Hard to say. Uh, Nick Piccinini, he's he's crossing over. He's going to be great from Oklahoma State. He's going to be at uh, American Kickboxing Academy with DC and all them. Uh, I'm trying to get you just one one good one, one good example. It's it's hard. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not as plugged into college this year as I, as I have been just because I've been so busy with freestyle and MMA. I'll get back to you on that. Sorry. Uh, another another Bajrang boy, another wrestling uh, friend. Oldest and greatest, uh, at oldest greatest. We did that uh, USA versus Azerbaijan commentary. That was fun. Uh, but yeah, he has a good question. Who will end up with the best MMA career? Ed Ruth, Logan Storley, or Aaron Pico? So background. Uh, Ed Ruth, three-time NCAA champion for Penn State, like one of the most credentialed wrestlers of all time, like top hundred probably. Uh, Logan Storley, I think he's a four-time All-American. At uh, 174 pounds in the era where there was like five guys that were all national <laughs> champion caliber guys uh, like Chris Perry, Andrew Howe, Tyler Wilfs, Matt Brown, Robert Kokish, uh, probably uh, you know, Blaze Butler, Zach Everly. There's like Kyle Crutchmer. There were like 10 guys who were all really good at, at that weight at that time. Mike Evans. Um, it was insane. It was nuts. So. <laughs> 
him not becoming a national champion is not an indictment of his skill set, although he was very boring in college, except for the time he hit an elevator on Mike Evans. That was sweet. Um, but he is uh, at, I guess I should back up. Ed Ruth is at AKA now, and I think he was at like dethrone based training center with Josh Koscheck before that. Well, interesting. Uh, but yeah, Storley is with uh, Hard Knocks, Henry Hooft, uh, Sanford MMA, whatever they're calling it these days, with. Uh, Usman and Chandler and soon to be Bryce Meredith. Uh, and the third option was Aaron Pico, uh, two-time California state champion. Then he dropped out of high school to try to make world teams and go to the Olympics. Then he was runner-up at the Olympic trials, but just in freestyle, he has wins over like David uh, Serafian or Serafian, I forget how it's said, uh, world champion. So he's pretty good. Uh, and obviously his MMA career is rocky thus far. I'm sure it's well documented. I think the answer to that question is Logan Storley. He's undefeated so far. He's been taking his career nice and slow, but I think most of all outside of career management, he's just with a good camp and I'm, I'm trusting how this camp is developing wrestlers into strikers right now. And, uh, I, I just think he's going to probably have the highest skill competency level, but also be the most like about business, you know, like he's going to have a, a simple game and he's going to get to it and it's going to work for him over time it's going to be replicable and i think he's i think his heart's in it i think he's got the, the, the right attitude he just seems like a very professional sort of guy uh whereas pico like behind the scenes i think there's been a lot of like hot head decisions and he like not listening to his coaches and going to jackson wink was terrible and obviously like his durability is already going even if it wasn't that great to start with uh ed ruth you know, his, his losses are, are acceptable for this stage of his career, but the way they're happening are just so avoidable. Um, he doesn't have a game. He doesn't have an idea of what he wants to do. He just, he's been learning how to fight, and he's fighting. But he's not, like, applying any sort of process. And I think when you're a wrestler, it's really important to do that, um, especially when you're still figuring stuff out. Like, you need to be able to get to your wrestling reliably and without too much effort. And it doesn't really matter what your skill level is. At a certain point, you're going to need to have one of the things we've talked about in any of these episodes like a, a process a system mark munoz said it's absolutely necessary and you're in the past you're behind if you don't have one so if you don't want to listen to me listen to mark munoz uh so that's my answer logan storley thank you second to last question we're almost through my mouth is so dry damn i should have drank more water dan albert my boy very, very thoughtful man, Dan Albert, and he does a lot of analysis. He famously wrote 24,000 words about Justin Gaethje, a man who uh, has probably not said 24,000 words in his life, so it's like high, high praise. But yeah, Dan Albert, very thoughtful, so a lot of, uh, a lot of good points here in this question. How much has having a wrestling background influenced success in MMA in your eyes? Likewise, fighters without a wrestling background who end up being effective MMA wrestlers, any thoughts or speculation over this? Like, why is it, why are they successful? I think this goes back to Adam's question, whereas, like, physically, I think these guys are, are a different class than a lot of uh, MMA fighters are. And, uh, you know, they, they have that you know, lifetime of experience being combat sports athletes, so they know how to do it, they know how to be professionals. Uh, but also they have that skill base and they also know how to win and they know how to train hard. They know how to like get better at stuff and just, you know, all that. But also, uh, you know, half of fighting is grappling and you can't grapple reliably if you're not on top. So being able to take people down is pretty important. 
And if you're a striker, you don't want to be taken down. So being able to not get taken down is pretty easy as well. Uh, so having a lifetime of experience in the thing that determines if you get to stand or be on the ground, as Joe Rogan would say, uh, like determine where the fight takes place. He's not wrong. That's important. That's really important. It's not that simple, but I think in terms of like, why are they successful? Those would be the reasons. Uh, also, there are just so many of them. <laughs> so many wrestlers in MMA. Uh and you don't even know, like, the, the U.S. alone is overflowing with talented wrestlers. I mean, it's it's tough. Like, participation is down. I, I mean, it's rising, but it's not good compared to other sports. But, I mean, not good participation, training people how to kick ass is pretty good for turnout for, for MMA fighting, especially because not everyone's going D1 college. They're all fierce competitors, and they want to do more. It's, like, drilled into them when they're little kids that they're going to be these, like, great competitors and, like, they... They gotta want it, and they had these this mentality. Like they have similar mentalities, even if they're not the same level. It's hard to dissuade those guys from pursuing further goals. So it's like a lot of the great MMA fighters you see right now got to like a community college or a junior college level, and like didn't have the grades or what have you to go higher level, and then they transition to MMA. There's a lot of them, so I think sheer numbers is probably why it's working. Uh, and then fighters without wrestling backgrounds who end up being effective MMA wrestlers. The examples I can think of, of like George St. Pierre and Robert Whitaker and uh, Jose Aldo, they're all just phenomenal athletes with great high body awareness and they worked really hard. I think it's that simple. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, my voice is like about to go, so let's let's finish this up. Last question from Theo Binst. I'm going to say Binst. I think you're French, so I don't know how that would affect the pronunciation, but I'm not going to check. Uh, Theo is going to be an MMA fighter. He's going to future UFC champion, I believe it says in his bio, perhaps. Uh, and he's like doing doing wrestling in his picture. So if you're a French guy that wrestles, then hats off. You're a unique character. And he asks a great question. Why do you think a lot of wrestlers from Oklahoma State make a great transition to MMA? Well, I think... The first part of it would be a lot of wrestlers from Oklahoma State make the transition to MMA. So just sheer volume is probably the number one reason. Uh, this is, this may seem like a bold claim to some people, but like if I'm going to pick a random school, Virginia Tech, if a lot of guys from Virginia Tech started doing MMA, you would start to see a lot of guys that went to Virginia Tech to wrestle being really good at MMA in a few years. It would happen. Um, I, like I'm telling you guys, I'm not overselling <laughs> what kind of people, uh, like high-level college wrestlers and freestyle wrestlers are. Like, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything. Like, barely scratching the surface in, in terms of talent. Like, you don't even know what's out there if you don't watch wrestling. Like, it's. I'm not gonna say they would all like run over everyone automatically, but if they learned MMA and they like got good and they did things the right way, like, if like one percent of them did it, you would have a bunch of contenders like fast. It would be unfair. So they probably shouldn't do it because it probably ruined the sport. Because everyone be like, oh my god, it's all wrestlers. Um, that's not to say they wouldn't end up having diverse fighting styles. Just people get protective over their their martial arts bases. I guess that you know experiment from UFC one is still carried over. So I think yeah, there's just a, there's a tradition of Oki State guys doing MMA. Uh, I forget who started that, but like Randy Couture is a good one. He was Oki State. Um, other reasons. I think they're pretty well-rounded, and they're pretty crafty. Uh, in terms of well-roundedness, I mean, they're great low-leg attackers, which, you know, bodes well for getting easy entries in MMA, as we talked about with Aljo. Um, you know, 
the finishes might not always be there. Um, they're also really great, like, yeah, like throw-bys and redirecting pressure from clinch positions, which is great because, you know, with the cage, people are always trying to push you back. Um, and with striking, people just naturally try to push you back when they get into the clinch, when they're not good clinch fighters. Um, so that, that usually helps. This isn't to say every Oklahoma State wrestler wrestles the same way. This is like kind of the meta of the school. Uh, they're, they're really good on top these days. That's obviously a huge bonus. Uh, Nick Piccinini, who you'll see, make his debut within a year or two, I would say. Uh, he's, he's super, he's nails on top. He's great. Uh, so that's going to be a big deal. But yeah, I would say it's those factors. Um, and also just like, uh, I'm not going to say that uh, the the culture of the, the Midwest, I guess that's like the Southern Midwest is uh, fighty, but I think it's uh, they have a fighty culture. Those guys are tough. They like to fight. They like to scrap. Um, and they're also like super select technicians most of the time. And they, you know, highly emphasize strength and conditioning and they, cut a lot of weight so they're big <laughs> uh, those are all pretty good reasons uh, why so hopefully that answers your question okay well I'm exhausted but I think that was pretty much almost all of them um, yeah I'll, I'll do an episode next week I'm gonna go on vacation soon but I'll probably record an episode then too and uh, no, no guests on my radar for the future quite yet uh, I'll get some eventually. If you have any suggestions and you think someone's accessible, let me know. Uh, Chad Mendez, if you're listening, I would love to talk to you, you know, just about anything, really. Um, but wrestling would be a good thing to talk to you about if, if I can choose. Um, somebody tell Chad. But yeah, otherwise, that's it. Um, follow me on Twitter at EdwardGalloMMA. Follow the fight site at fightsite.com. Uh, give us your money on Patreon so we can pay our writers, so we can keep them writing. Please. Uh, they'll stop eventually if we never pay them. Uh, so I'm working on that. Your money is going to them. It is happening. They're getting paid. Um, but I want to pay them more. <laughs> Sell their sites on steal them so we can keep the dream alive. Um, but yeah, do that. And uh, check out our YouTube channel and uh, just generally support the site. And be cool and stay safe. And, you know, don't say anything racist. Don't be racist. I feel like that's necessary to say right now these times try try not to be a racist if you can okay cool all right see you guys later